0: Nation, we are back. We are back with another week of some PGA DFS action. Uh, coming off a mediocre week, I would say we are. Uh, we're getting another JV tournament this week in the Houston Open. Uh, but I think there's a lot. There'll be a lot of fun to be had this week. I think from a. Uh, Perspective of breaking down from a DFS angle, I think there's a lot of value plays to be found, uh, and I'm going to have a lot of fun kind uh, of playing tournaments this week. So, joining me, as always, are my two trusted co-hosts, CN Najad and Spencer Aguiar. Spencer, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well, Joel. You know, I'll add two things before we start the show here. So, one of my favorite basketball players of all time, Tracy McGrady, Houston, one of my favorite rappers of all time, Chameleon Air Houston. Houston's doing something right.
0: Interesting. I wow. like it. I like it. See ya. How about you? How you doing?
1: Tracy McGrady
2: bomb to start out the show. That is, listen, the days of Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter on the same team. I mean, can, can we all just after this show, and I'm talking about the people that are listening as well. Can you just go to YouTube And we'll just skip over Tracy McGrady real quick, although he was mega talented. Can you just like watch two minutes of Vince Carter on YouTube? It'll probably be dunking, but regardless of what it is, you'll be like, especially if you're younger, like if you're like in your like high 20s or mid 30s, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this existed back then. I didn't know there was somebody like this back then. He really is unbelievable but anyway uh thanks for the t-mac bob that was that was pretty cool i i like to cross reference sports just like just like weave it in like i was going to start the show by being like listen i'm really mad at Kadarius tony because for two weeks out of the last like four weeks he has cost me like thousands and thousands of dollars this last week it was more daniel jones but three or four weeks ago it was because he punched somebody in the helmet with his helmet on and got him out of the game and I needed like a couple more points for him for a single entry takedown. So anyway, I think we're here for golf, but I, I, I like uh, talking about the other stuff too.
0: I love it. It's a golf podcast. Within two minutes, we mentioned Tracy McGrady and somehow that got us to Vince Carter highlights <laughs> on a golf podcast in two within two minutes. So listen.
2: Yes. And then we went to Kadarius Tony. <laughs> like, what, what's next? You never know what you're getting out of us,
0: right? <laughs> Well, I tell you what's next. What's next is going to be winners and how you make money. That's what's next because that's what we do on a consistent basis on this show. And that's what we're going to segue. do this week. Uh, and it's the Houston Open. So I'm super excited. I think from a handicapping standpoint, you know, there are some things we can look at. Uh, I think there's some advanced metrics, maybe driving accuracy. Of course, always going to be approach Uh, I think putting could be at a bit of a premium this week. It is a more challenging course. So for me, like, I'll be looking at guys who are strong at bogey avoidance, making sure we can find our cut makers. Um, but let's find out from the team. Sia, is there anything in particular you're looking for this week on the course?
2: Yeah, so other than what you said and what Spencer's about to say, I'll just be super generic um, before we get into Spencer's model. I mean, you, this is a longer course. I mean, especially the some of the par threes are like, Most of the par threes, if not all of them, I think are over 200 yards. The par fives are long. The par fours are generally between 450 and 500, or at least there's a lot of them between that range. So I'm looking for scoring on those types of holes. You know, obviously long iron play is going to come into play uh, in, in holes with holes like that. Off the tee game is certainly going to be important, a little bit more important to me than it is like your average PGA tournament approach is always in play. And to your point, Joel, Bermuda putting, Um, particularly on sort of faster greens. And then I think difficult scoring conditions is in play here too. Like you said, this isn't a birdie fest. We might be dealing with the wind and just other conditions, just difficult scoring conditions. I think the rough is pretty penal out here. Um, Just for reference, there's only been one tournament on this track before. It was last year, the Houston Open prior to that, all the data prior to that applies to a different course, not this one at Memorial. So um, that's pretty much what I'm looking at. But then, of course, I'm curious to hear what Spencer has to say.
0: As, as am I. Uh, I think actually more than most things, I actually find this course to be a lot more going on than we, we usually see in terms of things we can break down. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing the best in the business. Spencer, please break it down for us.
1: Yeah, Sia just said it will be the second time we've seen this tournament take place at Memorial Park in recent memory. It was hosted here last season, but hadn't been inside of the PGA Tour rotation since 1963 before that. It's actually one of the few municipal golf courses that is used on tour. It costs around $30 for adults and $10 if you are under 18, which typically lends itself to a thought process that the venue is easy. But we didn't get that last year with a winning score of 13 under from Carlos Ortiz. I think using the Bermuda Championship from a few weeks ago as the prime example of not living and dying from a small sample size is important. Uh, But there are some metrics that appear like they should roll over here again. We get three par fives and this heavy yardage total of over 7,400 yards for a par 70 layout. But I wouldn't call this venue uh, anything other than total driving i mean i think distance is going to help people here but it's not the only thing you have these large specimen oak trees that are positioned to cause issues if you're wayward off the tee and there are these weird quirks throughout including a clamshell landing area on the par 4 tent that will create problems if you go inside of it a ravine runs through a handful of holes and despite not having many bunkers the misses are extreme because of the runoff areas We always see that level of design from Tom Doak when he builds a course. I think tricky surfaces that are hard to read. The one main difference here is there isn't as much undulation as we sometimes get from his properties, Uh, but the overall structure looks pronounced. Uh, The track does a good job of featuring dog legs that move in both directions. Uh, The fact that we get that mixed with the potential for gusts means we do need creativity and thought before hitting every shot. And we kind of see that with wide areas that feature small targets, but I do like this venue from a modeling perspective. I think there are a ton of preconceived notions that we can exploit in DFS. And I built a model to try and accomplish that. So I weighted uh, seven stats. I started with total driving for 20%. Uh, that's a 57.5 versus 42.5% split of distance over accuracy. As I said, dog legs go in both directions, which means while distance will help uh, the specimen oak and small landing areas put accuracy into the mix. on courses over 7,400 yards. Uh, That should artificially add in some measurable totals like distance, long iron proximity, and just an overall ability to handle a longer property. Weighted par three, 7.5%. I felt compelled to weigh that category because there are five but I didn't want to get overly caught up. These range all over the map in distance. And I tried to accurately assess that narrative by having each stand solo within my weighted category that I did. Uh, Three are over 200 plus yards. So I did include a reasonable mix of long iron proximity. 17.5% on par five birdie or better. 61.5% of Ortiz's winning total came there last year. Nearly 73% of Hideki's second place score. 66.6% of Gucci's fourth place output. The only outlier was Dustin who wins the tournament if he's better than 18%. Uh, That's the one concern I run into with certain golfers that don't score on par fives. It's going to be hard to compete with some of the uh, par fours being primarily bogey avoidance setups. Uh, That leads me into 15% that I attached onto my weighted par four, which looked primarily at the longer holes. There are birdie holes at five, 13 and 17, but I prefer trying to find how players perform at par four stretching over 500 yards. Five of the seven most challenging holes come between 490 to 529, and I added in some bogey avoidance and long iron proximity to complete that category. Uh, 15% around the green plus GIR. It's a one-year data total, so I would take it with a grain of salt, but 28.3% of the scoring dispersion came around the greens last year. That's 14.3% higher than tour average. And then I wrapped it up with 15% on weighted proximity. Uh, that incorporates the full statistical breakdown of what we got last year. That's going to be a heavy mix of long iron play. Some of the weighted part total categories include a deeper dive into specific ranges too. So I think I marginally de-emphasized approach play, but added it in as a secondary metric elsewhere. Uh, so when I ran that model, just really quickly, from an overall rank sense, I got a top five of Burns, Sung Sungjae, Cameron Smith, and Joaquin Neiman. Uh, top 5 for upside yielded Finau, Burns, Kepka Scheffler and Sungjae and uh, we will get into some of these players a little bit more as we get throughout the show but some of my most notable outliers uh that I found value on were Luke List, Chad Ramey, Sahith Thagala, Taylor Moore, Mito Pereira and Charlie Hoffman.
2: If I may. You are you you are sort of the 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 Sahith pioneer, in, in, in at least in my eyes, in terms of this, was a, it was a long time ago that on your Be the Number Pod, you were you and your guest on that show were talking about Sahith the Gala. But more importantly, I have something to say, um, maybe to Sahith the Gala later on in the show, but you, my friend Spencer are literally the only one in this entire industry who is actually pronouncing his name correctly. It is Sahith. And I don't mean to be the pronunciation police, but we keep saying his name. He's a rising star, in my opinion. We may as well get it right. It's Sahith, not Sahith. Sahith the Gala. All right. Sorry about that. Let's keep it moving.
1: One interesting thing to add to that. So uh, Sahith, all his friends were calling him Sahith also, and he had them change that just a year ago. So... I, you know, a lot of people were making that mistake. Sure.
0: You know what? You go out there, you win a tournament, and then you tell people, my name is what you want it to be. And they're going to remember when you have the microphone after you win the tournament. So maybe that's this week. Maybe we get that here on Sunday. Um, Mm -hmm. But let's, let's see who, who is he competing with? Right. We got the top range here at the top. There are some, uh, some of the more known names, but I think the pricing this week is really interesting because it's a little bit watered down this tournament not the, the biggest names um you know i don't think you have to go to this top range but i do think there's some some guys that are clear um you know better golfers if you will than than the rest of the field so if you want to start at the top see do you want to kick us off
2: yeah i mean I, there's a few, i agree with you by the way i, I think people's inclination will be to at least grab one guy up here, which is totally fine. But you definitely, the 9K range is so rich, you could absolutely start there. I've started a build from Cam Smith down. I've started a build, let's see, from Adam Scott down. And then, of course, I've started a build with, like, Sungjae down. So is my favorite in this range. I have three guys I really, actually, is my second favorite in this range. I have three guys I really like, Cameron Smith, Sung JM and Sam Burns. And just from a salary standpoint, roster construction is a little bit more difficult this week, in my opinion, in terms of if you grab these guys at the top, you're going to have to go dumpster diving a little bit. No disrespect to the guys in the 6K range. So I found myself playing Cam Smith a little bit more than Sung JM and Sam Burns, but that doesn't mean I don't like them. As far as like rating out, measuring out in my model, Sung J is actually number one um Sam Burns is number 3. Uh Cam Smith he's never going to rate out as high as those guys. He he just isn't uh his his ball striking never really is that great compared to those guys but Listen, he can navigate a difficult sc- uh, course. Uh, Spencer just told us that short game around the green game in particular is going to be sort of emphasized a little bit more than your regular PGA Tour event. And just Cameron Smith is one of those guys, man. It, it, he just figures it out. And he's so good with the short game. I really like him. He's probably my favorite play in this range if we're just incorporating value and in everything else. But I do like Sung and Sam Burns quite a bit as well.
0: I like it. I like it. Spence, how about you? Who are you looking at up here?
1: Yeah. I mean, just to touch on a couple points that Sia just said, um, I don't think you have to start in this range either. You know, Joel, you mentioned that I do think you have a couple players that are better, but I think that just shows that there's wide open builds this week. There's a lot of routes to go with it. When you look at ownership, I mean, I guess if you exclude wise and Gooch from the mix, uh, everybody else looks to be under 20% and you have a bunch of guys between 10% and that like 18% zone. So uh, there's a lot of uh, routes you can go with that. As far as Cameron Smith goes, probably has the best upside to win this tournament, in my opinion. And and I agree with Sia. He usually doesn't grade out well, but uh, he's top five in all iterations of how I ran my model. So that's something when Cameron Smith has that going for him, I've noticed that a lot of times uh, it works out well in that sense With it, because he's not a guy that you're going to see popping in models. So when he is, I'm always going to look a little bit deeper into that. It's why at the Masters, I usually like him at some of these courses with around the green game. That's what we're going to get here. But uh, I'll run through all these people very quickly. Um, Sam Burns graded number one for me for safety and, and also overall on my model. Uh, he was second for upside. We've seen Bermuda be his best putting surface per round by nearly 0.36 shots over Poa and Bent. And he's averaging 6.84 strokes tee to green over his last seven starts if we remove the tour championship. I think it makes a lot of sense for why he's the highest priced player on the board. I don't have any problem with him. Uh, Scheffler's probably technically a little overpriced on the surface. I was hoping we would get him at less than 10%. That doesn't seem to be the case right now. If he's going to be 13 to 15%, there's just other routes I would go with it. Uh, like Sheffler, think he has upside, wouldn't be shocked if he competes for the tournament. He a lot of times can roll over his success with it, but um, you know, at 15%, I, I would rather go up to Burns if we're looking at about a 3% difference there. Uh, my model has Sung J.M. correctly priced. The only concern that I have with him is he's lost with his irons in three of his last four starts. He's had the average 4.56 around the green over his last three to make up for that. Uh, these aren't surfaces that you want to miss, but I'm not going to talk anybody out of playing Sungji. I mean, he's third in my model for a reason with that. Uh, Finau was number one ranked player from a statistical perspective. Uh, he looks to be the lowest owned of the group. Really like him um, in that same Cam Smith range. Those are probably my two favorite along with Burns. Uh when we look at Matthew Wolf in head-to-head matchups, just to throw it out there, he's plus 130 versus Hatton, plus 110 versus Wise, plus 123 versus Kepka, and plus 125 versus both Neiman and Scott. To me, that signifies a golfer that's overpriced. Uh, I would just rather go different routes. Uh, I won't touch on Cameron Smith anymore. Sia did a good job with that. I like him. And then Hatton was marginally intriguing to me because of his ownership. Uh, he's down in the range of phenal this week, but it would have to be GPP only if I was going to consider him.
0: I love it. I love it. For me, I think we, I have a lot of alignment with you guys, which is good. I think we're seeing a lot of things similarly. For me, though, uh, I'm, I'm with you, Spencer. I think Tony Finel wins this tournament. I think he's the best play. I think, listen, I know it's almost like you can look at me like I'm crazy to think you think Tony Fina is going to win a tournament. The guy mm-hmm. never wins. He's like, you know, parentally second place guy. So fine. But I do think he's going to be up there. I think this is a really good spot for him. Um, and it's just one of those tournaments where I actually think he's he's a much better golfer than a lot of these guys. Where you know he might normally be priced similar to these guys, but that's like in the mid AK range. And I think here in this field, you know, he's a he's the only guy that I would really consider an all star golfer. M- maybe Scheffler, but you know, none of these other guys are really being considered for a Ryder Cup team or anything like that. So. From that perspective, I really love Finau this week myself. And because of that, because I love Finau so much, it is really difficult to afford multiple guys in this top range. So it's kind of forcing me to really hone in on just him. Um, You know, my first instinct when I saw Sam Burns as the highest-priced golfer was like, ooh, Sam Burns. But then the more I thought about it, fully justified. I mean, the way he's playing this year, he's playing like the best golfer. Um, The combination, though, of his price and ownership, which is looking like 20%, it's just – I just think we I can do better from a DFS perspective. So I'm not going to take that swing, but you know, I do think Sam Burns can easily compete this week. Um, and, I, and I agree with both of you guys on Cameron Smith. Like He's, again, not a guy that pops in models. My only other concern with Cameron Smith is he's the type of guy that I really like in a major when he's in the 7K range and like he's almost getting overlooked. When he's coming in as a favorite, those aren't the spots I like to target him as much. And then lastly, Tyrell Hatton. Um, I guess if we're – if we're using the name police. It's Terrell Hatton. Um, and, <laughs> and, and I like him this week. Listen, he's he's at the lower end of this range, so you can squeeze him in if you need to. And his ownership also looks pretty low, which to me, you know, he's probably my my second or third favorite player in this range. So to get him also at the lower point with the ownership, I think, is a, is a really good deal. So for me, is really um, prioritizing Finau and Hatton.
1: Just to add to that really fast, sorry. Um, and, and that's what kind of my model shows is what you just explained there. Like Burns is the safest play according to my model. Fino has the most upside when you look at it. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: And if I may, you know, if, if we're going to go, let's just go good chalk, bad chalk real quick on Sam Burns. And I'm talking GPP only, not cash, GPP only. Uh, I'll start. I kind of think it's bad chalk considering everything from a GPP standpoint. What about you, Spencer? I'll say good chalk. Joel?
1: Yeah, from
0: a GBB, same way. I'm going to go with that as well.
2: And real quick, um, so this uh, Charlie Charlie said, Spencer, hold on, right before you did the uh, the modeling, and then he said, okay, I'm good now. I have my popcorn. Isaiah's in here. He wrote our initial picks article. I think that's a free article. So you can go to windailysports.com and check that out. It's a really good write-up. He's He showcased a lot of players there. And then, of course, ode to last week when we had PGA Tout. Uh, on the show anyone order fries without salt this week so if you don't get that reference
0: you're not watching enough of this show <laughs> love it love it let's let's keep this train moving we got to go into the 9k range you know i i find this 9k range interesting because of the prices right we've seen some of these guys fluctuate from minimums like low 7k up to the 9k range in a matter of week, a week or two so I know these tournaments are different, but we haven't had a major with everybody playing. So, you know, even so, there hasn't been that of a field. So I just find, you know, it looks like the the people who work at DraftKings are kind of scrambling. How do we price these guys? You know, it, it's hard. And, and that's why DFS is hard. That's why we, we make this show and we kind of find some edges. So to start off with the 9K range, Spencer, you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, I, I know we've been pretty big proponents of no Brooks Kepka and non-majors over the past few months, but... I am willing to come off of that stance this week at his tag of 9,900. Now, I want to preface that by saying this would be GPP only. Uh, This is a large field type tournament. I don't think you need to force him into single entries or anything like that. But uh, he is the biggest increase in my model when trying to find equity uh, from where he's priced. You know, I don't like the narrative that Kepka is playable because he helped to design this track with Doke. I think that's very lazy handicapping. Uh, But there is something to be said when he's showing as one of the better upside plays without that even being correlated into my model. Uh, The ownership looks to be on the rise. I wouldn't necessarily be rushing to play him in certain builds. But I think there's a a fine spot. Like if Kepka wins this tournament, I don't think anybody's going to be shocked with it. And I think it's a good course fit for him. Um, Adam Scott at 9,600. I have no issues with him. Uh, The one I want to talk about, I guess, would be Joaquin Neiman at 9,500. And the reason why I bring him up is I don't really see that big of a difference between him, Gooch, and Wise. But you get this ownership where, you know, Gooch and Wise are approaching 20%. Neiman's looking to be sub 10% right now. So if you're going to give me half the ownership on a player that I think is just equal in my model with it, uh, I'm always going to take half the ownership when it's presented to me. Spencer, let me ask you something there,
2: because the one thing that Neiman might be inferior to those two guys you mentioned, Wise and Gooch, is that around the green game, which I know has a slightly like a bigger emphasis. Is that something that you're just willing to forgive this week, and he still rates out pretty well in your model?
1: One of the things I like about Neiman, and I think it's a reason why he might be able to turn it around, uh, he's gained with his irons in 19 of his last 23 starts, I believe. You know, these are very... Penal misses if you miss and I'm going to go in with the anticipation that he's going to be able to hit his irons well now if he's missing greens yes you're going to run into problems but I think anybody who's missing greens is going to run into some sort of problems here I mean these are very difficult around the green surfaces Uh, there's red flags with Neiman sure and, and I want to preface it by saying like wise and Gooch are technically correctly priced at where they are. I know that sounds weird to say in the $9,000 range, but as we keep mentioning here, this is a JV tournament uh, more or less with it. And these are two of the hottest guys in the world. Like when we look at Aaron wise in particular, 28 straight rounds of being par or better. That's not like that's some, that's seven straight tournaments that he's put together there. So uh, he's playing really good golf. Both of those guys are playing really good golf. Like I'm not going to tell anybody not to play him, play them, but you're going to have to hand pick your, your spots where you use them. Like they're probably better in cash builds than anything else, but uh, I think they're playable in certain roster lineups that you make.
2: Yeah, i found myself, again, I haven't built a ton of of lineups yet, and I I do the single entry thing. I, I don't mass enter, and I'm really still disappointed in DraftKings for not giving us the plethora of tournament options that they normally uh, give us in during non-football season, but that's an issue for another day. But with that said, I found myself in GPPs just not really playing as much wise and gooch as, as I thought I was going to initially, and it's really the game theory part. It's the ownership part. I just prefer to I, I, I'm so I'll just go to my 9K because I'm not pivoting to Neiman, although I really like that play. And if you asked me, well, who has the better upside? Forget about safety for a second. Who has the better upside between Neiman, Gucci, and Wise? you'd be hard pressed not to say Neiman there, in my opinion. So, you know, that's take that for what it's worth. Uh, Adam Scott is going to be my pivot, though. And keep in mind, Carlos Ortiz just withdrew from this tournament. So that ownership that he was going to garner is probably going to filter up into this 9K range, probably to Gooch, to Wise. Some of that will go to Brooks Kepka, Some of it will go to Neiman. I don't think Adam Scott's going to get a lot of that overflow. So Adam Scott's one of my favorite guys. I mean, He's got to keep it in the fairway. Off the tee has been an issue for him, but he's starting to get, a, like, his game is starting to round into form, and if you just look at his metrics over the last 36 rounds, sixth on approach, eighth with putting, uh, tee to green, 24th, birdie or better gain, ninth, uh, first in par fours, 450 to 500, DK points, which people tend to not look at, fourth. I mean, there, there are some red flags with Adam Scott, of course, but this seems like a really, like, I don't know what ownership you all are looking at, but the ownership I'm looking at, he's, he's pretty low relative to the guys in this field. So Adam Scott for me, and then Gucci and Wise, I think are smart, you know, cash plays and safety plays, but Scott's my favorite in this range.
0: I like it. I like it. I I, I know I'm having a hard time this week myself with Brooks because I do have that rule of like, don't. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't play him if it's not a major. And then I'm looking at this field. I'm looking at him not even in the top range. And I'm like, all right, well, he does have that upside. And so I'm torn. I don't think I'm still undecided at this point because uh, I just think right now it's, you know, when he does play well, he's just a lot better at golf than these other guys. But, you know, he just doesn't always bring that A game. So um, that's going to be a comeback to it for me. Um, You know, Adam Scott's a guy I normally don't play. I think for me, I would prefer him. I like him better in my mind in cash builds because I know that he can he competes, right? And, like, you know, I just don't love him as top 10 upside, which is hard for tournaments. But, see, I think he makes some really good points in that, you know, this is a pretty watered-down field. His ownership is pretty low. So there is certainly some leverage to be found there. Um, I think Joaquin Neiman, you know, if Joaquin Neiman was 7,700, I would be locking him in. You know, that would be it for sure. Not that he's priced up. It's not as attractive. Uh, but I do think compared to the other guys in this field, I prefer him to a lot of these guys. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I just, you know, he's not a value anymore. Now you're taking him as, you know, one of your top guys. So in this field, I think he's, he, he deserves to be there. Um, you can play him as well. I would, my final ruling on Neiman will come down to ownership. What I'm seeing now is around 10%. If it stays there, then yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go there. If that goes up, then, uh, I will pivot. I definitely like him a lot more at ten percent than I would Gooch or Wise at twenty. Mainly an ownership thing. I do think Neiman's a better overall golfer, and they get the the ownership leverage on the field there would be nice. Um, and then lastly, and I know I, I mentioned I've been mentioning him a lot. Uh, I think Patrick Reed could do well here again. This is a guy who, um, you know, he has really struggled since he was sick with COVID or, or he had the pneumonia, uh, but you know, now we're getting him at again, a discounted price at 9k um, at an ownership that's under 10%. Um, he got, he competed at Bermuda. I do think that he's going to turn a corner. It's going to be soon. And you always want to be early in DFS. I think this is a good spot for him.
1: Yeah. One of the things with Reed, I mean, like if we're just looking at ownership, uh, he looks to be think he is the lowest in my model of anybody we've talked about so far from an ownership perspective. So that's always intriguing with Reed. We know he can win a tournament and he plays long, hard course as well. He's second in my model with that. So, uh, you know, it's always going to be hard to find Patrick Reed, to pop in a model. He's one of the most difficult guys for me to get myself on for that reason. Cause I am using my model so strongly every single week, but, uh, I mean, I can understand the thought process at sub 10%.
0: For sure. And you know, I'm the type of guy, right or wrong, I don't know, but I'm the type of guy that likes, I like to lean on legacy, right? I like to lean on, you know, I know someone's playing really well the last month and their their price is rising because of their recent form. But at the end of the day, it averages out that guy who's been playing really well for a month is who he is, and he's going to end up being who he is. And the guy who's been really good his whole career he might not be playing well right now, but he's going to end up getting back to playing really good golf. So mm-hmm. that's the beauty, part of the thought process.
2: The beauty of that perspective is that it really applies here with a course that's going to be relatively difficult. Like those are the guys you want. Like, and that's that's part of the reason I like Adam Scott, by the way, and it's part of the reason you should like Patrick Reed. It, you know, it's these harder, difficult scoring conditions. That's when you see like the cream sort like sort of rise to the top. And I could absolutely see some of these newer fa- and it's it's why, like I, you know, we'll get to the 8K range in a second. It's why guys like Seamus Power, who I love or Mav McNeely, who who I generally love, like some of these kind of newer names, I don't know that I want to play them over a Cameron Tringale, for example, because I'm like, well, I, I kind of want to defer to experience with these types of courses. But I did want to point out, just just to note, if we didn't already say it, um, last year, the the only time you know, this tournament was played on this track. Taylor Gooch did finish fourth and Wise finished 11th. And I only felt like pointing it out because I did mention upside as it relates to Neiman. Neiman didn't play here last year, but Gooch finishing finishing fourth. I mean, that, that says something about his upside, I suppose.
1: Uh, just to, I mean, we can use my model just to touch on that, I guess. I mean, from an upside perspective, Neiman was seventh, Gooch was ninth, Wise was 13th. We're talking about generally the same player there. I mean, Neiman a little bit better with it, but... Uh, it just comes down to an ownership play for me with that. And and based off the other point, like that's one of the reasons why I run my model for such a long-term perspective. I don't want the recency bias that you get with guys that like once the sports books, once DraftKings, once all these users know that like, oh, this guy has 28 straight rounds done this. Well, then now you get a 9000 something dollar priced Aaron Wise. I'm trying to find the guy that over course of time has been a better golfer and he might not be clicking at this moment, but I want to be ahead of the curve and get on him. Uh, if my model thinks he should be a good play there. So that's why I run things as long as I do.
0: I think that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, I like it. All right. Well, uh, now we get to, we got to find some value, right? We, we kind of broke down the top range the the top guys that we like, but Spencer, why don't you us yourself? Who in this 8k range are you looking at?
1: I found the 8k range to be difficult. Um, A lot of the ownership is still sticking there. Uh, I don't see too many spots to try to be contrarian with it. I mean, there's a couple, but if we remove that important ownership part altogether, Henley does have good proximity numbers to be competitive. Uh, He ranks fourth in this field for this specific iron layout. The issue is he's one of the worst par five scorers on tour for what I would consider a good player. He did come 29th at the course last year. Uh, Something like that seems in play again, but that probably makes him a better cash play. Similar thought process for Mark Leishman, two top fours in his last three. Six made cuts in a row, 14 consecutive rounds of par or better. I'm more inclined to take a shot on his upside than someone like Henley in GPPs, and I still think he carries good cash playability. Uh, but my two favorite plays in this range are actually the guys that Sia just mentioned in Maverick McNeely and Seamus Powers. So uh, McNeely ranks 12th in both strokes gain off the tee and around the green over his last 24 rounds. We've seen him make 12 of 13 cuts in a row, including 10 of those resulting in a top 30. Sometimes a golfer just needs a few breaks to get over the hump when they're consistently in contention. And Seamus Power at 8,400 follows that same mold. 14 made cuts over his past 15. 11 of those have resulted in a top 31. Um, Form like that's very important during the offseason. There aren't many guys producing as often as those two. And then I guess my dart throw, just to throw somebody out there, would be Max Homa. Uh, He's a little boomer bust. With what he brings to the table, but seven made cuts in a row for a golfer that does possess winning upside when he does get hot. I typically prefer him on courses that are more challenging, like the one he draws in Texas. And he's proven to be a very solid win player throughout his career. That makes
0: sense. I, I like it. See so ya. Yeah, how about you? Who are you looking at here in the AK range?
2: Yeah, I, I was looking at Max Homan. I'm like, Man, he seems like he's probably better than 8K in this field. So I think that's a really smart play. I don't think a lot of people will be rostering him. He's sort of out of sight, out of mind right now, which is th- the perfect time to take somebody like that. Um, yeah, so I mean, I-, I won't belabor the point here. Mad McNeely and Seamus Power are two of my three favorites. I'll get to the third one in a second. But just to piggyback off what Spencer was saying, McNeely's really great at everything. I mean, Spencer laid out all the metrics. But just to add to that, par fives, 500 to 550, he's great. Bogey avoidance, he's great. Good drives, he's great. DK points, he's great. I mean, when I say great, we're talking like top 15, sixth, first. I mean, th- these are like really great. Met- Tita Green, he's in the top 30. Um, I, I I do like that play. Seamus Power has just been such a good ball striker. He's been making cuts. So, I, you know, anybody who's playing, has been playing Seamus Power has pretty much been getting paid off. I mean, he hasn't really been like top five in it necessarily, but Seamus Power has been doing a great job. He rates out really well in my model. The only other guy I'll mention is Shane Lowry. Um, A, he's got the short game. He's got the tee to green game. Off the tee is a little shaky. So that is a a slight worry. But in these difficult type of courses, and I'm not saying this is the most difficult course on the PGA Tour, but it's just more difficult than some of the tracks that we've seen where some of these guys that we normally are taking, they might actually falter. I think it's a perfect time to take Shane Lowry. I think the price is great at 8,200. And I I can tell you that in a lot of the builds that I have, uh, Lowry and Cam Smith are in a lot of them so far.
0: I love it. Uh, I love it. I have a question for this. Before I give you my place in this range, something I noticed when we were kind of been talking about with like the new guys and things like that. To me, it feels like there is a bigger influx of new golfers to the tour this year than normal, right? Like, I know there's new Corn Ferry Tour players and whatnot that always kind of get new cards and everything every year, but I feel like this year it's almost like they've almost like flipped the roster, like half the field is all these new young up and comers.
1: I think there's a lot of good Corn Fairy guys that made the tour this year. I mean, I think we see it with. Taylor Moore, Ramey, Thigala, like all all these guys look like they're going to be around for a long time, in my opinion.
0: It's interesting. As a changing of the guard, I think, you know, it might make our jobs a little more difficult, right? Just new blood, not as much statistics on it. But, um, you know, I think it's one way or the other, right? Some people's strategy is either going to, if you really like or keen to following these new up-and-comers and and they hit, then you'll you'll be the win. If you're kind of more of the old guard type guy and don't like going for the newcomers. You know, one way or the other, I think a strategy should work. It's a matter of which one it will be. Uh, For me in this 8K range, I like the bottom of this range the most. Uh, Starting with in the middle, um, Bez, Christian Bezen, who I think, he's really just on paper, he grades out really well. I mean, he he really doesn't have too many weaknesses like you guys uh, kind of were talking about earlier, and he's under 10% ownership. This is a guy who was, you know, two tournaments ago, you know, in, in the top range, you know, one of the most expensive golfers. And I guy that. I really do think he can compete in this field. Um, I like Seamus power as well. I'm someone that usually that consistently goes to the Seamus power. Well, uh, I think Tringali is someone who's interesting. I really like Kyle, um, Shane Lowry. Kyle Lowry. <laughs> Watching too much NBA. I really like Shane Lowry too. see I'm with you on him. Um, I think this is just a really good price for him. Um, I think he easily could have been priced up into the nine K range. Getting him at the low AK range at, at best, um, I think it's just really good value there. And the last guy down here that I'm looking at is actually Lanto Griffin. He, listen, he, I mean, he he has some upside. You know, he's re- I think he does better on these more difficult tracks where he can kind of grades really well at bogey avoidance and things like that. So, and again, the lower portion of this range, I think Lanto looks really interesting. Now? To- um, oh, go ahead. Joel, quick thing. So Isaiah is right here because of the KFT
2: didn't send anyone in the COVID year. That's why you're getting, I believe it's twice as many people. So it's, it's quite the influx of new talent. And, you know, I mean, I guess for us, I guess the only, our only choice is to look at it as an edge. I mean, the fortunate thing is like, we do have a lot of the corn fairy statistics, not statistics necessarily, although you can find those two, I think, but just finishing positions and kind of just, knowing hearing through the grapevine speaking of the grapevine by the way here's a really good plug for windailysports.com get into our discord because none other than coach just dropped something in our discord which pertains to a 9k golfer which you may think is relevant and you may think is irrelevant and you may not want to pay attention to but you might and he was gracious enough to drop it in our discord i just i just cheated on the show and i jumped in there and i saw it so Sign up for Wind Daily Sports. I think you get like maybe a week free trial still. I'm not even sure. But even if you don't, the price is so low for all of our sports. It's not just golf. It's literally all of our sports, including, of course, NFL, NBA, NHL. Uh, our Discord is is hot fire. It really, truly is. So uh, get in there, and then you can see what uh, Coach just dropped in there. Because, uh, yeah, it might be pretty important. Um, let's see here. I had a tough time deciding between Power and McNeely in the article. So let's go real quick. Joel, if you had to pick one, Power or McNeely, who's it going to be? Power. And does. It would
1: probably be McNeely for me, just because they're very close in my model with the way that it was built. I mean, I think it's a tough decision, but a lot that was bringing Sheamus up to that point was his around the green game that he had. Uh, If I'm looking for pure upside, I kind of think McNeely has a better chance to win the tournament. Um, Sheamus might be a little bit safer.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would, if I had to choose, I'd go McNeely, but it's so close. It's yes. so close. Um, this is a question. This is a, a cash lineup. And we talked about everybody here. So I don't think we need to go too far. I just wanted to pick out EVR and Tringale or either of you on them, whether it's GPP or cash.
1: I, I like
2: EVR a lot. Okay, I guess. Okay, so so Joel, if you, if you don't mind, can Spencer start in the 7k range? Because he's towards the top of it.
0: Yeah,
1: let's do it. All right, let's do it. Well, I'll start with this. There is a player in this in this range that should probably be $15,000 by just skill level. Would either of you like to guess who that is?
2: Are you are you going to say Mito Pereira? No. Oh, okay. Oh, Jason Day, obviously. <laughs> this guy. I, Jay Day. I,
1: I can't even get over the disrespect of Jason Day at 7,400. I, I mean, I guess he's only made three of his last eight cuts where there's been a cut line, but... I assume he's just proving a point that he's so rich that he doesn't need the money. But, um, you know, I do have a real take on day in a second, but assuming he continues to be the Robin hood of the PGA tour, really like Aaron, Eric van Royen at 7,800. I think he carries some of the better value we've talked about so far 11th in my model from an overall and upside sense 20th at this course last year, he ranks seventh in weighted proximity and 11th in total driving when trying to mimic this track. Uh, I like Chad Rainey a lot at 7,500. He seems to be one of the better Corn Fairy prospects. We keep talking about these guys, but he's one of the better ones of the mix. Uh, His off the tee game has left something to be desired at times, Uh, but I have him 13th with his driver for this specific layout versus ranking 86th at a neutral track. His ability to hit it long and straight should be a major benefit. I like Charlie Hoffman at 7,300. The recent form has been questionable, but we get all the narratives that typically spell out a Hoffman week, including Texas and wind. Ryan Palmer, 7,100, falls into that same mold. Uh, we saw some life from him at Mayakoba coming 27th. His preferred surface is Bermuda. Uh, if Looking for a contrarian play, Brian Harmon at 7,100 makes sense in very large field contests. Um, I know Griot just pulled out of the tournament, but he was a minus 130 favorite against Griot, minus 150 against Cam Davis. I think it's a way to create leverage. Uh, my model's all over Taylor Moore at 7,100. The one issue is I don't have a ton of data to work with for him but he was the second largest edge on the board right now in rank versus ownership if he stays around that 1% to 2% range. Uh, Lee Hodges was first. Ryan Palmer is another notable at fifth. And then my real take on Jason Day is this. He came seventh at the course last year while struggling on Sunday. Uh, There was a potential for a much better finish. He's ranked sixth in this field on long par fours, second at difficult par fours, and is 30th in total driving. I wouldn't be using him if I'm making only a few builds. Uh, but this is the first event he's been projected to make the cut in a while. I think you could do worse than cramming him into some lineups if making a plethora of lineups. If nothing else, he's an interesting leverage option with a high ceiling but low floor. Also, if DraftKings releases him at $7,400 ever again, they should be investigated for price shaving. I will hire Sia as my lawyer and take up that case.
2: Yes, I'm already drafting the documents. <laughs> Thank so you. We will file the requisite motion. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll start. I I do like EVR. I haven't really put him in many builds yet. I, I You know, I don't like HV3. I shouldn't say that. I haven't played HV3 in quite some time. I think I like him this week, though. He, he does rate out pretty well in my model. Uh, his approach game has been solid. Uh, par three, 200 plus, very solid. Bogey avoidance, very solid. Um, everything birdie or better gained, uh, top 20. DK points, top 15. Um, I, I'm liking... I'm liking Harold the III for the first time in a long time. So I think I'm going to play a little bit of him. I'm not sure I'm going to play Mito Pereira. I think he's fine, but I, I just I don't think I'm going to get there. I think in the 7K range, I'm going to lean on a little bit more experience for the most part. Um, I don't really like the mid-7K range too much, although I think Chad Ramsey is interesting. I'll let Spencer just do the, the Jason Day thing, and we'll see how that pans out. Um, I do like Ryan Palmer, though. Uh, I think this is a really good time to take Ryan Palmer. So he's made two cuts in a row, which is kind of saying something for Ryan Palmer because the state of his game hasn't been very good. I think the cool thing about Palmer is that we don't have strokes gained data the last two tournaments to see really how he actually did it. He only finished like 40th and 27th or something. But still, for a $7,100 golfer, we don't know. Maybe, he, maybe the ball striking was back with Palmer. And it's that unknown that sort of drives me to Ryan Palmer. Isaiah and I were talking about Palmer uh, earlier. I think he might have included him in, in his article. But he's also a good Texas player obviously i think he's from texas so he's got a couple things going for him including that unknown factor so i do like him and i'll just throw in a couple other guys in that low 7k range i'd love to get your opinion on on both of you on, on either of these guys joel diamond and henrik norlander i've been leaning on norlander a little bit lately and he's been pretty good uh, but I, I wonder if you guys think either of those guys are a good fit this week
1: uh my model likes norlander the best of the two um i i I don't have a problem with him. He shows as a value. Uh and I don't have much of an opinion on. He was a negative value for me. Gotcha.
0: You know, I like Dahman. I Dahman's a guy that I think in pop my, my I like I probably will like Dahman more in a showdown lineup than I would yeah. uh in a four day just because I think he's has a high probability of missing the cut. But I do think he also has a high like he's the type of guy that's like a first round leader back because he also has the ability to have like a low round. So mm-hmm. um I like and don't love him, you know probably would play more in showdown if they have those if they have good showdown players this week, i should add that norlander did play here last year and missed the cut for whatever you think that's worth well and that's but you know see i don't i don't put much into that because norlander's playing much better now than uh you know the only reason we're playing norlander is because he's kind of on a hot streak so uh mm-hmm. you know, if he wasn't on that then then it's hard to compare the two good point yeah all right. Well, for me down here, um, I think there is some value to be found. I particularly like the lower part of this range. Um, I, I'm totally aligned. I think Ryan Palmer makes a lot of sense. Um, I actually like Brian Harmon a lot here. I think Brian Harmon, this is a spot Brian Harmon could, could pop it, you know, next to zero ownership. Um, I, I think this is a, a course where Ches Revie could pop. You know, the interesting thing with Revie is he's priced right around, you know, some of these new up and coming guys who are like, you know, the big time names. So I think, He'll probably, I don't know if it's good or bad. He'll probably not get a lot of ownership as people will be looking to go to Pendrith and to maybe more and guys like that. So especially keeping his ownership low, I think we really could be interesting. Um I've been playing a lot of Ian Poulter. And I think Ian Poulter is, is again another guy who's in really good form right now. Um, he's someone that can certainly get hot with the flat stick. So it's kind of like he can kind of compete in any tournament as long as he's not, you know overly wild off the tee or anything like that. Um, and then other than that, you know, the, at the top of the range, the two guys that I like, I am 100% going back to the Mito. Well, uh, we've seen Mito has not been like, you know, Mito has shown maybe he doesn't have a good tournament here or there, but he comes back, right? This isn't a guy that at least so far hasn't shown extended periods of, of missing cuts and things like that. So as of what I'm seeing now at this produced price and ownership I love it. I have a feeling the ownerships going to come up as the week comes on because of his price tag. But if it doesn't, then I will be heavily invested in Mito. And the last guy in this range that I'm looking at is Brandon Grace, who I think from my memory is coming off of probably his best season that I can remember. Uh, he's playing really good golf at 7,600 at less than 10% ownership, coming off of a, another top 10 performance. Um, I think Brandon Grace is someone who could be really interesting here as well. That's it for me here in the seven K range. So let's wrap it up down here in the six K range, where again there's still some value to be found. And, and the one thing I want people to keep in mind is also some of these guys, especially at the top of the six K range, if you flip them with someone in the eight K range or the high seven range, I don't even think they're. I wouldn't bet an eye. So I think it was just maybe some mispricings. It was just a difficult uh, tournament to price. So I think there's some definite value to be found. Uh, Sia, you want to kick us off down here?
2: Yeah, let me ask you guys real quick though. Any anybody a fan of Harry Higgs this week? We got a question from Charlie.
1: Um, I mean, he he did show as a positive value, but I think he shows as a positive value for me every week. Mm-hmm. Joel, any Harry Higgs this week?
0: You know, Harry Higgs is the guy that I like when he's sixty four hundred. It's like I got to squeeze someone in, and I just can't trust anyone else. But I'll I'll give him a shot. Here, I think there's other guys I'd rather go to.
2: Fair enough. Oh, yeah. So the 6K range. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I'm I'm really curious to see what you all have to say in the 6K range. I have a few guys that I like. One in particular, I do like Sahith Thagala quite a bit at 6900. I think Aaron Rye is really interesting. I know the golf chat, the Wendell golf chat was talking about him a bit. I think Jimmy Walker is interesting. I know that Sicily um, Kid Stephen, is, is a fan of him this week. Uh, I kind of like Denny McCarthy. Uh, I think Dylan Fratelli getting some buzz. I think it's interesting that guys like Francesco Molinari are 6,600 and Zach Johnson is 6,100. I, again, I don't, I don't know that I want to play them, but if you guys have opinions on them, that would be interesting. I see Lee Hodges down here, who Spencer just pointed out as a, a pretty supreme value. Um, those are sort of the names. and For some reason, Jason Duffner rated out well on my model. So if you guys happen to have an opinion on him, that would be fantastic. I do want to plead to to Sahith Thagala Sahith to come onto the show because... He's a really cool guy. So I, I was sort of like, you know, I, I just like randomly like be on Wikipedia or something and just start like researching something that doesn't pertain to anything. Maybe it like ends up being an answer to a Jeopardy question someday. But like while I was doing that, I stumbled on Sahithagala. I, like kind of, I was wondering, you know, I was, wanted to make sure he was of Indian American descent. Uh, and it turns out he is. And then I saw an interview. And Spencer, maybe you already know this because I know you had a, had a friend that, that is actually friends with him this is like a really cool dude. He, I guess right. he grew up in California. He went to Pepperdine, all American, just like, you know, pretty dominant uh, collegiate career. And when I heard him talk, I was like, Oh man, this guy's like, he's just like, kind of like a very chill, just like cool demeanor about him. Not really stuffy at all, which sometimes you can find not with the Harry Higgs of the world, but like with some golfers. So this is my plea to Sahith to actually come on to this show to join me uh, Spencer and Joel. So a, a couple reasons I want Sahith to consider to as to why he should come onto the show. Okay, first of all, he's a fan of Kobe Bryant, a huge fan. And when he won the Southwestern uh, Invitational, he was actually wearing a Kobe Bryant jersey. So what a way to honor his legacy. I, I think that was two days after Kobe's death. So winn Sports, Jason Mizrahi, we're all big fans of Kobe and what, what he did uh, on the court. So here's another thing. Here's another reason to come on the show, Sahith. You won a tournament in Australia and my sister lives in Australia. Look how much we have in common already. Look how much we have to talk about. And you actually won that tournament in Australia. And when I was in Australia visiting my sister, I played roulette and I won on one spin. So we, we have both won in Australia. How about that? Um, you got a top 10 at the Sanderson Farms. My great, great, great grandfather was a farmer. So there's that. Boom. We have so much to talk about. And oh, by the way, you're Indian American. My wife is Indian-American. She's Bengali, which I know to most of you, that means she's from Cincinnati. No, no, no. Bengali is actually a place in India. Uh, so I think Sahith would be pretty familiar with that. And uh, again, you're a super cool guy. So come on to the show. Come on. To, we don't even have to talk about golf, by the way. We can talk about Kobe. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, but you're just a cool dude and you should come onto our show. So this is uh, my plea to him.
0: And uh, our glasses anyway. match. So why wouldn't you want to join? We'd be like matching glasses twins. So.
2: Right? Yeah. I'm sorry. I left that out. That actually should have been the first thing I said, or at yeah. least before the winning and my life thing.
0: Clearly, yeah. clearly, so. uh, anyway, so but that's my six K range. Sorry. Basically to wrap that up, see he think I will be on the show next week. Um, so everyone be prepared. He's obviously going to hear this and come on. So uh, that'll be really exciting. Uh, Spencer, who are you looking at down in the six K range?
1: Yeah. I noted last week that I thought the six K's provided pretty robust te- routes to be taken. Um, it was one of the reasons I was convinced stacking two of Hovland answers. Sheffler and Thomas was the best strategy to go, uh, but I don't have as much optimism this week. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but it does get, I don't want to say bad down here, but it does get questionable down here very fast. I think Luke List should be viewed as a high ceiling, low floor pick at 6,900. He missed the cut in 2020. Now, I hate the ownership. I talked about this on the Better Golf Pod with Andy Lack today. I think he brought up a good point that maybe he just makes more sense as a top 40 play and you can get your exposure to him that way. Uh, One of my favorite values is Sahith Tagala. His first place marks in bogey avoidance and scrambling. Should give him real upside to compete on the first page of the leaderboard if he brings his best stuff with him to Texas. I just think he's a really good player. Um, And then it kind of just becomes dart throws from there where I'm hoping the best for the best if I get down there and I'm going to try to avoid it if I can. But uh, Tom Hoagie, Lee Hodges, Peter Uline, I do like because of his par five scoring. Uh, Trey Molinex, Wyndham Clark, Francesco Molinari did great out well for me. And the one I will talk about, I guess, a little bit more in depth is Paul Bourgeon at 6,000. Uh, my model has him correctly priced at 7,000. So the fact that we're getting him at the stone minimum of 6K is at least a salary saver if I'm really getting stuck down there and trying to make something happen.
2: Um, can I just note that uh, on the First Cut show that I do on Monday with uh, Rick Gaiman and Greg Ducharme, Rick literally spent like a good three minutes, almost a full 200 seconds on Paul Barjon. And I was like, what? Paul who? And anyway, so that is, uh, I mean, the fact that both of you, uh, and he mentioned the same thing, Spencer, about how if if you just look at his... I. I look at his metrics and his finishing positions alone, you would you would definitely have him, what you were saying, Spencer, like closer to that 7K range. So he was saying it almost seems like a misprice. Now that doesn't mean it's a guy that's like definitely going to make the cut and like kill it for your DraftKings lineups, but you always want to take advantage of, of a
1: potential misprice if you see one. Yeah, he is the biggest misprice I have in my model based off of that. And as you said, it's not guarantees going to make the cut, but He's top 50 in all iterations of how I ran my model. And I mean, he just creeped into that total. And obviously, I mean, we're looking for top 65 in ties to make the cut from it. So, you know, I I think at 6,000, he's just a better play than he should be in this range. I think you could have made him $6,900 and it would have been just about the same thing in my eyes. There was a time about five or six months ago where I
2: think it was Vincent Whaley, was like just cruising. And this isn't a Vincent Whaley situation. Vincent Whaley was like a little bit better than this, but he was just kind of cruising through tournaments in like top 35, every single tournament, four, five, six, seven in a row. And he was still like sitting in the 6,400 range. And then he'd go up to like 6,600 and he would just still make cuts and score DK points. So again, that's not this situation, but these things do happen where some of these guys who are just are relatively unknown they just stay in the cellar for whatever reason until they really hit big and they top 20. And then it's like, Oh, okay. Like we got to pay attention to this guy. So um, yeah, we got to find those diamonds. I mean, that's part of the reason we're here.
0: Totally. Totally. I I love those plays. Uh, Especially like, I think you can find some of these really nice value plays. Some guys are sprinkled into your lineups down here for me. I'm going to try not to dip down too much uh, into the six year range. There are a handful of guys that I'm looking at, you know, starting at the top, Um, I think Stewart sink is is really interesting. Um, He has definitely slowed from his hot streak early in the year, but not as that significantly in the 6K range. I think um, he's definitely a value at this price. Um, Going down a little bit further, I I think Pat Perez is playable. Not someone that I really love, but in the 6K range, I think he's someone that I can roster. What I really like a lot is Brian Stewart. I mean, he does, he grades out really well for me this week. Um, He does, you know, shows really well in a lot of these advanced metrics. Um, and at 6,700 with you know maybe two or three percent ownership, I think he's a really good value here. I'm also going to go back to my Steven Yeager. Well, you know this is a guy I like. Um, you know I know he missed the cut last week, but he's a of 20. He, he's almost like he's rotating weeks when he pops. So I guess this would be the week that he's supposed to pop again. Not a lock, but I think this is a, a good value to take a shot on down here in the 6K range. And other than that, I'm going to try not to dive too much lower that in the 6K range. Um, to be honest with you guys, I am just learning about Barjan. uh, I'm intrigued. So someone that I'm definitely going to have to dive deeper into when I'm building my lineups soon.
2: I did want to point this guy out um, that Isaiah brought up because I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Jim Herman more on social media and on his Twitter than, than in real life golf. But like, you know, if you are going to dumpster dive, I think he's 6,100 in this tournament, if memory serves. Uh, Jim Herman has won this event before. And honestly, he's flashed even as soon as last year. Let's see. One, two, three, four. He made four cuts in a row at, at one point, maybe five, uh, a couple top 30s in there. So uh, somebody to think about with, you know, not extreme upside, but some upside.
0: I love it. I love it. I think anyone else, anyone we missed in the, uh, in the breakdown here.
1: I mean, not I, I guess not really for my And I mean, there are guys down in the $6,000 range that I think are playable that we didn't talk about. Um, but I mean, as you said, Joel, like there's nobody I'm looking to, they're going to be sprinkles when I'm playing them. I'm trying to avoid the range for the most part. Can I ask you guys real quick about a guy who's 7,300, Charlie
2: Hoffman? Anybody want to consider him? I think he's also a Texas native, um, a guy that's classically a good ball striker, but has been a little erratic over the last five, six months. Anybody thinking about playing him?
1: I, I love Charlie Hoffman. I have an outright ticket on him. He's one of my favorite plays. Uh, oh. When I ran my model from an upside perspective, uh, he was, I believe, the biggest outlier I had below $8,000 this week. Wow. Okay. Maybe
2: you said that earlier. My apologies if I missed it. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For me,
0: uh, I like Charlie Hoffman. I don't love him, but I like him. I think the price is right. Right. I think he's just, yeah. he's someone that's underpriced. You can, you can squeeze him into your lineup. he's a better golfer than the guys around him. So for that reason, I do like him. I don't love his form coming into this tournament, but uh, I think he's is one of those pedigree guys where he's a better golfer than the price tag. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a wrap for the DFS side. Let's move it over to the betting market. Uh, I know Spencer, you got some outright. So tell us who you're looking at in the outright market.
1: Yes, yeah, so I have three outright tickets. Uh, Brooks Kepka 30 to one. Joaquin Neiman, 30 to one. Charlie Hoffman, 110 to one. And then I do like the Gala and Taylor Morris top 40s. Um, as always, you can listen to the Better Golf Pod to get all the plays there. But uh, I think there's a lot of good top 40 plays this week. If you go searching around between DraftKings and FanDuel.
0: I like yeah. it. I like and it. And that
2: that Better Golf Pod you said was it was with Andy Lack this week, and it's already in my on my Apple feed. So I I think uh, I think uh, anybody can listen to it. How long was it? Because I know uh, you've been keeping them short.
1: Fifty eight minutes. If I bring Andy on, the the two of us get into it a oh, yeah. lot of times, and you know Andy's one of the best guys in this industry. I always enjoy mm-hmm. talking to him. So I uh, I mean I'll warn everybody right now. There's probably fifteen minutes of Jason Day talk in there. So you might either. You know, turn it up or or mute it at that point and skip through it. But uh, a lot of good Jason Day discussion. Awesome. All right. See ya. Who are you? Who are you looking at in the
0: outright market?
2: I'm only going to give you four. Uh, one that I think is is pretty realistic, and so the odds are kind of short. I'll start with Cameron Smith at 28 to one. I, I like to flirt with odds that are a little higher, longer than that. But um, I do think Cameron Smith is the type of guy that can take down this tournament. So I think 28 to one is a good enough number for me to bet. Um, I considered Scott, Adam Scott at 40 to one. So I'll just throw him in there as well. Adam Scott at 41. I haven't bet that yet. Harold the third at 50 to one. Mito Pereira at 80 to one. I don't think I'm going to be playing a lot of him in DFS, but I'll throw an outright in there in case I'm wrong. You know, obviously top 20 would be in play there too. And then my long shot is Ryan Palmer at 130 to one.
0: I love it. I love it. For me in the outright market, micro- I'm pretty light this week. Um, You know, I think this is a tournament where you want to, if you're going to go for the outright, you want to take a shot. I'm totally lying. I I have a ticket on Ryan Palmer as well um, at 130 to one. I think it's a really good number. I think Stuart Sink also at 130 to one is something that could be interesting to look at. And you know what? You know, the theme of the show. So he's to go 150 to one. I think it's just a great number. I do like his upside. So, um, you know, I, I would, I would punch a ticket on him just you know, for me, I think this is a tournament where because it's so JV, I think there's extra value on the guys that are down low because you know they don't have to beat some of these big dogs that are head and shoulders better than everyone else. So you you there's a higher likelihood that someone hits on some of these one of these long numbers. So uh now let's let's shift our focus to our moneymaker, what pays the bills, the guaranteed, <laughs> right? The first round leader. Um uh, Spencer, do you want to kick us off? Who do you look at as as a first round leader play?
1: Yeah, so I have five this week. Uh, Jason Kokrak, 50 to 1. Uh, Thought behind Kokrak is I'm just hoping he can regain his form. I don't know if I trust him to do it for four rounds, but I think he can get hot for one round. Charlie Hoffman, 65 to 1. Eric Van Royen, 65 to 1. Sahit the Gala, 100 to 1. And Luke List, 100 to 1.
0: I love it. I love it. Now for me um, there's a few plays here again we're, we're swinging for the fences on these first round leaders I think Dylan Fertelli at 130 to one is it is a good number uh, Hank Labiota at 140 to one I also like and then maybe in a little bit more realistic number as I call I think Ches Reeve could be your first round leader at 90 to one um, and I'm gonna end it on Mito Pereira at 70 to one hmm.
2: I like that. That's a good number on Mito. The number on Mito is really long, both in the outright and first round leader market. It's it's weird. It's interesting to me. Isn't
1: it interesting too? I mean, like it was just a couple weeks ago, Mito was 30% owned in these tournaments. And now he's like, I don't know if he's going to stay around 10%, but it's kind of weird to see him in the 7,000s and at 10%. Like it, something's awkward there. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree.
0: So are you saying, like, like, like it's the old Vegas adage, hey,
1: someone nope. knows something
0: I don't, so maybe we shouldn't bet it? Or are you saying maybe too good a odds, we got to
1: hammer it? I don't know. I mean, if you're on it and you guys like it, uh, I I will uh, go with your guys' route on it. I, I don't necessarily have an opinion. I mean, my only concern with Mito would be, I do think that the last couple of tournaments he's gone in the wrong direction, but uh, from a statistical perspective, like, I don't know what you – couldn't like about him I guess maybe the way he's played long courses in his career would be the one negative but uh 10th for me overall like he's just good value at 7,000 uh whatever he is 7,700 or whatever so I agree what's what's hard for me to get away from him is
0: he's not only good value but it's like if he was 7,700 and 30 percent owned, then I think okay I don't know but like also not really high ownership it's like all right well we get a guy who we know has top 10 upside who we can fit into it with anyone else we want because he's medium priced and it's not going to be chalky. Like, yeah, that's someone that, that I want to take a chance on. So yeah. I love him for that reason, for sure. But let's, let's keep a look. I just have a feeling that ownership is going to really come up before.
1: I would agree
2: with that. The one other thing with him is is the putter has been, pretty bad at times. So I think if you think he's just not going to be good on these fast Bermuda greens and it could get away from him, that that would be the argument against him. But he certainly has the upside. So at that price, I I understand the argument. But for me, it'll probably be more of a betting argument guy than it will be a DFS guy.
0: Okay. I like it. I like it. Uh, Sia, did you have any first round
2: leaders? First-round leaders, well, like you said, uh, Joel, there's only one way to pay the bills, right? Uh, Your mortgage, your utility bill, water bill, groceries. Uh, And that's via, via, depending on who you are, the first-round leader market. So I'm going to give, let's see, five out. Did you mention, Spencer, Charlie Hoffman? by the I way, did. I'm just curious. You did? did. Okay. Sorry. Um, I like that play. I think that's, that's really solid. Uh, I'll, I'll start with, uh, another Texas guy. I'll, I'll say Ryan Palmer at 90 to one. He was almost the breaking news, but, um, I do like Ryan Palmer at 90 to one. I think there's some upside there, but let me start at the top. Adam Scott at 40 to one, Joel Dahman at 90 to one, Ryan Palmer at 90 to one, Sahitha gala at hundred to one. And then the breaking news this is how you pay the bills, your bills, your friends' bills. You're going to be able to pay everybody's bills, frankly, because all you have to do is
0: put everything you have. Go in ahead, Joel. In case you didn't know, Sia also has, in his late in his career, joined the original Destiny's Child by letting you know who can pay the bills. That's right. No, that's right. That's where I, that's where <laughs> I
2: actually got the saying from. Yeah, right. um, so at, at the end of the day, you're going to want to put all of your money on a 50-to-1 shop. And I'll tell you, I've got, I've got over here. That's a, that's a Baylor helmet. I didn't go to Baylor. It's signed by RG three, one of my favorite athletes of all time. And the reason, the reason me and Michael Raziel got to interview Robert Griffin, the third, and got to donate to his charity, which when graciously did, and and a lot of us did as well, uh, a really great charity, the RG three foundation, which benefits, you know, um, families that are victims of domestic abuse or poverty, also military families. It really just covers the entire spectrum. Um, one of the highlights of my uh, what this thing is, which is like a career for all of us to some degree, uh, was that interview. And with that said, the reason we even got there was because we were talking about HV3 so much that we just ended up making a game out of it. And we started like saying things in threes and then RG3, and then we got to interview them. So the point is your first round leader And the person you should be putting all of your money on, literally everything, empty the bank accounts, everything you have, like anything you have on credit, make sure you put it on the 50 to one shot who is going to be your first round leader at the Houston Open. His name is Harold Varner III. HV3, your first round leader. You're welcome, America.
0: I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, that's it for me. I mean, I fully plan on emptying my entire bank account and taking out a second mortgage just to make sure. I don't miss any of those because... When that hits on Sunday, I'll tell you what I am going to be doing. I'm going to be taking a big vacation. I'm going to be buying myself a mansion, probably a cruise. Uh-
2: That's funny because he doesn't realize he's on mute.
1: <laughs> he's going to have to buy himself a new mic too. And
2: and it, and I I, I, I wish because it looked like he said something really funny there. Yeah. And and we'll just like we'll never know. Maybe he can tell us later.
1: Well, I guess I'm the only one left here. So I will sign us off of this show. But, uh, you know, thank you for tuning in this week, guys. You can follow his job. Oh, Joel, you're back. I'll let you do the outro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I don't know what happened. We got muted. Somebody obviously was trying to shut me up. I think it was probably Vegas when they heard that we were giving you guys all the winning play. And they're like, this has to end. Yeah, but- you know, we no, shut down true.
1: the casinos when Varner's the first round leader. <laughs> Listen, Oops. that's
0: what happened in the—that's what happened in the Steelers game
2: yesterday. The refs got involved, so this—this yeah. this is a thing. Um, I did want to say just to—just to close the show. A, let, let's get Sahith on the show. Uh, we'll cut that up. We'll send it out to him. And B, and most importantly,
0: sports.